if a dentist has a history of harmful conduct, they fight tooth and nail to make sure the patient in that dentist's chair never finds out. And he harmed several patients before me. My surgery after he was placed on probation was one month after he was placed on probation. And FYI, uh, you should look at the amount of money that the Attorney General's office makes, the dental board makes, the probation monitor makes. And you know, in California, they don't have to have liability insurance. They're on probation. They're the highest risk. The patient doesn't know, and they don't have liability insurance. No money to be transferred for your next surgery to try and repair that dentist's mess. My surgery to try and repair my former dentist's mess uh, was $55,000. Medical error is purported to be the third leading cause of death in the U.S., killing a quarter of a million Americans annually. 23% of Europeans have been affected by medical error. Bad science embeds ME as medical harm globally, making millions missing. But less than 10% of medical errors are reported because medical error is the secret many healthcare systems and governments work hard to hide. Wrong medication, wrong dose, amputate the wrong limb. I am Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews, and I talk with patients and families, physicians and advocates about medical error. They share secrets, stories, and most importantly, solutions. Medical Error Interviews is brought to you by my online counseling service, RemediesCounseling.com, a safe space for people affected by medical error, chronic illnesses, and other life matters. A note of caution, some may be distressed or triggered by the medical experiences of guests. Hello, humanity. I'm Scott Simpson, host of the podcast, Medical Error Interviews. Singer, songwriter, and talent manager Tina Gomes of California needed a dentist for a straightforward procedure. She searched for board-certified dentists and made an appointment. What she didn't know, because the dental board failed to inform the public, was that the dentist had harmed previous patients and was on probation. Tina would only find all of this out after spending tens of thousands of dollars and enduring years of needless headaches, jaw pain, infections, ill health, and inability to chew solid food. As you will hear, Tina was betrayed not only by the dentist, but the dental board and the attorney general as they chose their own profits over her and the public's safety. Tina learned the hard way that dentists can take sketchy, continuing education courses which leave them ill-prepared to care properly for their patients. For example, they could take a six-hour weekend course on anesthesia. This will be disturbing when you find out that recently a patient died in the dental chair due to mismanagement of anesthesia. Essentially making them guinea pigs, these procedures often require ongoing fixes and devices, turning dental clients into perpetual patients. Tina discovered that the dentistry industry is not about accountability or oversight or patient safety. Dentistry is about increasing profits for dentists and dental boards and attorney generals on the back of and out of the pockets of patients. You can support the podcast by subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and all the major podcast platforms. Please consider leaving a kind comment. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons of the podcast get access to video versions of the interviews. Go to Patreon dot com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. 
If you've had your own experience of medical error and need the support of an experienced counselor, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. And now here's my interview with Tina Gomes. And as always, beware that some people may be triggered by Tina's experience with the healthcare system. Uh, so I like to interview folks in chronological order and sort of hear their childhood briefly and then up into their adulthood until we sort of merge into the health issues that we want to chat about. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? I was born in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and blessed. I had the two most incredible parents ever. And uh, my parents are Portuguese. And they immigrated to Canada and uh, really provided their children with a, a really comfortable childhood and um, really, really um, supported by two like incredible parents. I know I, I, I say incredible over and over, but I realized at 56 years old, um, there are a lot of people who didn't have what I had. Wow. Um, and siblings? I have two siblings. Um, unfortunately, I'm one of three daughters, one year apart. My mom and dad uh, had children one year apart. And um, my sister, unfortunately, was killed uh, in a car accident at a grad party, at her grad party. And uh, my other sister, my oldest sister, um, lives in Alberta, Canada. Okay, so that tragedy in your family. Wow. Yeah, and she was an uncontrollable diabetic as well. She was very sick at 13. And um, but she, she struggled with diabetes, but uh, she was killed in a car accident, unfortunately. Hmm. So grew up in Vancouver, but I know that you made your way to California. How and why did you do that? Well, I was offered a, a record deal by Richard Perry and pretty much anybody in the industry uh, knows that if you could produce a record with Richard Perry, you should probably jump on it. And uh, that's what I did. I, you know, moved to Los Angeles really with the intention of just completing an album and then going right back to Vancouver. But, yeah. So maybe we need a little bit of a backstory here. So how, what led up to getting an offer to work with uh, Richard Perry? When did you first discover that you could sing? Oh, very young. My father was a phenomenal opera singer. Phenomenal. And um, there was a lot of loud opera music in our house. And my mother could really sing too. She didn't know she could sing either, but she really could sing. And um, I just, uh, I just literally uh, met my boyfriend in Vancouver, who was in a rock band. And he never knew I could sing. And I just started singing. One day he heard me and he said, we're going to put a band together and you're going to sing. And at the time, I was like, Oh, please. No, I'm not. You know, I I don't want to be on a stage. I can sing. I'd like to write songs. I'd like to be a songwriter one day, you know, but that's a, that's, that's a really, um, that's a, that's an alone thing to write songs for me. It's, I just sit down and write songs, you know, sing them. Sometimes I record them on my phone and I just, I just sing and write, but he wanted me to get on the stage. So we formed a band and we covered songs that were already famous for other artists. And we got up in Vancouver and at a time when rock bands were forming, you know, uh, playing in all of these famous uh, rock clubs. And uh, I did that for quite a while. And I was recognized by Radon Chong, you know, the actress Radon Chong. Yeah. Her father is. Tommy Chong. Right, and he's the half of? Kishin Chong. Right, yes, thank you. 
So Ray Don Chong just dis discovered you. Yeah, she's discovered so many people. She's, you know, she's a phenomenal talent. But um, yeah, so she said, we're going to put a band together, <laughs> you, me, and my cousin, Lavina Fox, and we're going to go to Los Angeles and sign a record deal with Warner Brothers. So that's what we did. Wow. Okay. So you end up in California, start working with Richard Perry? Yes. And stayed with him as well at his home, Elizabeth Taylor's home. <laughs> oh, it was formerly Elizabeth Taylor's home. Yeah, so beautiful. I yeah. bet. Wow. And then so you're just starting to really, your career's really taking off if you're working with Richard Perry. And so then what happened? Um, I gather there was a fallout between Radon and her cousin, Lavina. And I think at the time, Radon had already been negotiating a film deal and she left and Lavina went back to Canada. And um, at the time I had already met several songwriters, producers, and they wanted to, you know, record songs with me. And at that time, I also met my boyfriend who then became my husband. And he um, introduced me to more producers and I was just writing and recording songs. But at that same time, I met um, this artist, Jesse Powell and his family, Trina and Tamara Powell, Jacob Powell and the phenomenal Emerald. And uh, that was their mother. She is their mother, I should say. And uh, we became really close friends and Jesse, uh, help produce a song with Damon Thomas, who is Kim Kardashian's ex-husband. And um, at that time though, I just knew, um, I didn't want to be a singer and on stage like I originally didn't want to anyway. And I wanted to help him uh, be front and center because I thought he was just the greatest singer and most amazing songwriter and talent. I mean, he was, he was everything to me at that time. I just thought there isn't anybody better. I would want to ever work with, or, you know, listen, listen to sing, you know, I, I'm a singer and I could, I could sing pretty well, but not remotely as well as he could sing or his sisters or his mother. And so I decided to manage him, get him his record deal. That made me, that brought so much joy to my whole life. I was just so happy to support him instead and his family, because they deserved it. They're like so phenomenal. So I did that and took him to number one on Billboard. And so I was recognized as a manager, <laughs> managing talent. And I found more talent in producers and I signed them, promoting them, uh, really was a labor of love but it was it was so fulfilling to be around such great talent i was surrounded by such phenomenal talent you know at, at the time i didn't even really think about uh singing or writing songs anymore i was just surrounded by all the great producers and songwriters around me so i was happy very happy to be a manager instead well, so really immersed in the industry and, and in your passion. So pairing those two things, that's uh, not everybody gets to do that. Ever. Right. I was blessed. And that's basically what I was doing all those years. All those years when I was in literally in struggling with uh, the dental work that happened in starting in 1992. Okay. So here you've got this, uh, great career, very successful career, doing your passion. And at the same time, starting in uh, 1992, did you say? Uh, you started to have dental issues. Take us through that experience. So my husband went 
my husband and I went to Gladstone's, a restaurant in Malibu, and I bit into sourdough bread and one crown broke off in the front here. So we, we went back home and tried to find a local dentist that had credentials that were board certified and you know all of the things that all consumers of dental services are supposed to look out for. And so we called him up and we, we asked him if on an emergency basis he could take um, my case. So, sorry, I'm having, I'm sorry. I'm just gonna give it one second here. Sure. With, with PTSD, unfortunately, sometimes you go back um, to what happened and you smell everything and you, you know, you feel, cause you're asking me to remember it. Those are things in PTSD that we try to forget. So when, when we went into his office was the first time I trusted him and in trusting him, I made my husband trust him and I wanted to trust him move forward with him. He made all these recommendations to replace uh, the surrounding teeth and to make a prettier smile. And uh, so everything matched. That was my biggest mistake. So he sort of upsold you. You go in for one crown and he talked you into a whole bunch of other stuff. Very skilled. Those continued education classes paid off for him. Unfortunately, though, the crowns that he replaced that one crown uh, to work with kept falling out. So then he decided to make a bridge. And that bridge started to cause damage to the neighboring teeth. So a four tooth bridge became a six tooth bridge. I was working at the time and traveling a lot. My career was very successful. And uh, I was representing recording artists who are number one billboard artists and producers, music producers, and uh, a lot of celebrities I did PR for. I couldn't really go to events and travel on the road and just be a normal person with crowns falling out everywhere I went. And um, so I returned to him and basically said, you know, I don't know what's going wrong. And he would blame me for, well, you're chewing. What are you chewing? Rocks? Um, you know, seriously, let's, let's get you in here and we'll, we'll fix this. I got you. I got you. So I would go back to him because I only have, you know, maybe three days at most in a week um, at home and then go back on the road. I traveled a lot. He would, he would do whatever he would do and it would feel okay and be all right. And then I would just resort to just, you know, drinking smoothies and soup and, you know, like foods I wouldn't have to masticate really with, uh, they would still fall out. So I would be returning and having him do more, more and more work. More and more work resulted in infection, everything would have to come off and we'd have to start over because my work was important to me and he would always make it seem like it was important to him too. And we would agree to do more extensive work. So I would just follow him. I would just keep following him because I only had a few days to get it right. And the thought of even going to another dentist to try and figure out what he had done and what I needed in just a few days, uh, it just seemed like it would be smarter to work with the dentist that already really created my bite and my mouth and my smile. He created it because it was no longer mine. It was whatever he created and it was his work. So I stayed with him and then just constantly um, compromised my own comfort and health and everything. I just adjusted. 
the way dentists expect all patients to do, adjust according to the way they want to do their art, they want to do their dental work, the way they want to take your mouth, profit by it, recreate it, and make it what it is that they say is better for you. That's the way they operate today, especially considering all the continued education courses are more centered around marketing. It's not around the priority of patient health or health care or safety, which fraudulently is advertised by almost every stakeholder in dentistry today. Everything I read about anesthesiologists, do you know that anesthesiology and dentists right now are at a huge crossroads? It's like a dentist in California can go through a six hour training course on a weekend and just do anesthesia on a patient and they don't even have liability insurance. If they take your teeth, your natural teeth and your natural bite and your natural health and recreate what they think is a more uh, healthy <laughs> smile with manufactured teeth, you have already compromised what it is that your body naturally wants to fix naturally because that's the way the body works. It wants to like always correct something that's not healthy. Um, but that's, it's their mouth at that point. You've invested in what it is that they learned at some continued education course that helps support their business, not their teeth, not, right. not the patient's teeth. Yeah, it's uh, about profit. So uh, you use the word compromise, and it sounds like if you're getting your calories from f soup and shakes, um, it sounds like that is a big compromise when you can't really chew food and you're getting infections. And I also hear that you really trusted him, your time constraints, so you sort of forced to trust him even more. So this went on for how many years before uh, a light bulb went on? Um, I'm going to say probably 12 years. 12 years. And I became close friends with the dental assistant and the dentist and the dentist family and the dental assistant's family and all the staff. We all became friends. I spent so much time in the dental chair, allowing this dentist to really treat me as the live patient in his continued education course. That is what they're teaching in dentistry today. Everything in that billion dollar industry is in the continued education. Because when you think about it, the patient at the place of treatment, at the time of treatment, is just to fund the research in those continued education courses when you think about it. So when did you discover all of this about the dental industry? When, when did you find out that your dentist was not what he seemed to be? When I sued him. And so how come you sued him? I was so incredibly sick and in so much pain and I had been literally covering what was going on in my mouth because it was so embarrassing. And I had spent tens of thousands of dollars with this dentist I trusted. And my husband at the time threatened him and didn't trust him. And they fought. And I, at that time though, I was, I was really sick. I just wanted to be healthy. That's what I invested in. And I was infected. Such a horrible thing to say to anybody. When your mouth is infected, I mean, it's such a disgusting thing. I spent tens of thousands of dollars on my health responsibly. And this dentist touted himself as a fellow, winning awards, selling his advanced training, his excellent skill, that he was above all other dentists and that he was, you know, he was concerned that my bite was off 
I didn't have a, a bite that was off before to any extent where it interrupted my ability to move to another country as a singer, as a songwriter, as somebody who could manage other singers and songwriters and take them to number one on Billboard and produce very successful events in America. All of whatever he went to school for, whatever he did, all he had to do was take care of my teeth. I didn't have my teeth anymore after he was finished. So you say you, sorry, you say you were quite sick. And I know when we chatted briefly previously, you mentioned that your weight got quite low and you were hospitalized. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it wouldn't be unusual for me, gosh, months. All I lived on was whatever was liquid. I made smoothies the way I made smoothies with blenders before Nutribullet became successful. And Nutribullet for me was fantastic. But I, I used a blender to just blend anything and everything that was, you know, really healthy that I couldn't chew on. I, I loved salads. I was a vegetarian for many years, but I couldn't eat salads anymore. I couldn't eat anything crunchy anymore. Anything that had a crunch, I couldn't eat anymore. But uh, so I would, I would drink my, my meals. And um, unfortunately for me though, I had a high metabolism because I also stayed in the gym, which helped with the anxiety. I don't know if uh, anybody has ever expressed to you, whenever your temporomandibular joints get like uneven in your sleep, you grind, people grind. They, they have to because the body is so smart. It literally wants to adjust. So you grind and that's partially stress and that's partially because nothing's in alignment anymore. And when he did all of the, the different bite and I went through, I can't even tell you how many transitional prosthetics, uh, different crowns, different, uh, they kept falling off. So he'd put a new one, he'd drill it down, he'd put a new bridge or whatever, then we'd extend that and we'd take that up. My dental record looks like an encyclopedia. It's so lengthy. There was no way I was ever gonna chew food. Uh, there, I knew for a fact if all I did was grind at night, I'd be calling him in the morning saying, okay, so that quadrant fell out and the crown on the left fell out too. I got to go to a meeting at 11. Can you please go to the office at eight? I'll meet you there at eight. I did that so many times. My ledgers reflect that. When I sued him, he filed with the dental board after three months of not turning over records after I requested them with my attorney that he lost all of my records in the great computer crash. How convenient. It works. So at some point you realize that he's not helping you and you launch the lawsuit. And I, it sort of sounds like that's when you started to do research about the dental industry. Well, I mean, I didn't really want to research the dental industry. I wanted to research how it was that this specific dentist was operating this way. How, how is it that I'm filing a lawsuit against the man I trusted with my care who bumped into my whole life? I mean, I surrendered so much trust in this guy while I was supposed to be enjoying almost the greatest part of my life and it was him I was just thinking I was like trying to research him but the truth is at the time that's when I found out that there were hundreds just in this state of California but there are way more everywhere of dentists that have an apparatus of compromise that keeps them licensed, even though the dental board considers them incompetent and in writing in a court document, they consider them incompetent. Every dental board is only supposed to license a dentist that is deemed competent 
but they state in these court documents, all of them, they are incompetent. The dental board deems they are incompetent. So your dentist, you found out later, had been deemed incompetent and had been suspended. But there's this, what's that term? Something of apparatus? Apparatus of compromise. Which allows them to do what? Remain licensed. As long as they pay the Attorney General's office fees, prosecutorial fees, investigative fees, hourly fees, of the investigation the dental board decided they would embark on and also collect investigative fees in their department. They all collect these hourly investigative fees once they decide they're going to investigate a claim against a dentist. It's a huge money wheel. So just so I have this clear in my head, uh, the dental board decides that a dentist X is uh, incompetent and they're going to suspend his or her license? No, they don't decide that. What they decide is that if a patient like Dum Dum Tina files a patient complaint against a dentist, then they're going to investigate the complaint. They can start charging the dentist investigative fees for the hours they spend investigating the complaint from Dum Dum Tina who is toothless now after accepting treatment from this dentist. You can start charging hourly investigative fees. Now, if at that point they decide they're going to reach out to the attorney general's office and state, we need to file an accusation, that's separate from just a complaint from a patient. Now the Attorney General's office is involved. In my former dentist's case, he was already being investigated for harming several patients by the same procedures he did to me in a surgery I'd never agreed to. So there was an accusation. None of his patients were informed about that investigation or that accusation. None of them, like me, I wasn't informed. I was his patient one month after he was placed on probation, never informed. And the dental board was so incompetent that they never posted his actual probationer dentist status on their website, which is their duty and what they consider a priority of patient safety or public safety measure that they promise to the taxpayer that pays into the fund that gives them the opportunity to sit on a board and determine how to protect the public by their licensing and enforcement function. It's across the board, it's a scam. So even if you had tried to look up to see if a potential dentist had any violations or suspensions, you wouldn't be able to find out that information back in the time when you were dealing with this? You could, but once again, the dental board proved to be incompetent, too incompetent as well as the dentist to even post his probation. They appreciated each other to my detriment. They appreciated it because they collectively made money by keeping the secret. They made money. They still are profiting today. There's still not one patient in that dentist's office right now that knows about his history or what happened to me or the history of the people that got harmed before me. None of his patients know that he's still practicing with his better bite theories. I'm going to give you a better bite. I'll help you. We'll make you a better bite. Wow, that is frightening. It's real. It happens all day, every day. I'm helping patients with this every day, all day. There was just nobody there at the time for me. Nobody could inform me about these facts. You know, the dental board spends more time concealing the harmful patterns they acknowledge of the dentist they license. They spend more time concealing that information. And in concert with the attorney general's office, the attorney general's office is in no hurry 
to educate the public the difference between a conditionally licensed dentist and one who has no smear on their license. They have no interest. Their only interest is keeping the dentist licensed. Non-compliant behavior that none of them would invest in. As patients, we invest in our health. As dental patients, consumers of dental services, we are investing in high-risk medical therapy. High risk, because there's very little oversight. It's self-regulated. It's not patient-friendly. So you launched your lawsuit and started to discover all of these things about your dentist. Where in the process is your lawsuit now? I won my lawsuit. Won my lawsuit. Okay. Why are you using air quotes? Uh, I was rushed two minutes before seeing the judge while I was standing there, you know, saying, if he doesn't pay for my next surgery at minimum, I don't know what we're standing here for. What are we doing here? And my attorney was saying, you know, no, he won't pay over this amount. He won't pay over this amount. And I'm like, it cost me 10 times more than that amount. What, what are you saying that I have to do? He's like, be smart, Tina, just do this. Just, just when you go before the judge, don't say anything else, just say this. But you don't sound like you're very happy or satisfied with how that played out. I think if you were sitting in my seat today, Scott, you would be completely unhappy as well. And you would feel completely raped. How, how would you have preferred your lawsuit played out? There's an umbrella of $250,000, a cap. Um, the reality is the harm I suffered and where I stand today, decades later, I'm in the same amount of pain as I walked in that office. Worse is that I still face surgery five trying to repair his mess. And that's coming out of your pocket or your insurance? It all comes out of my pocket. So that was your personal response to what your dentist did to you. But you're also doing an advocacy, a public advocacy push. Tell me more about that. The most important thing I can do now, because my losses are something I have to face every day. And I think I'm managing it very well. Even though, yeah, it's not a happy place. I think I'm managing it very well because there was a time when I promised you things were more difficult. And if I can help another patient the way I wasn't helped with any information or anybody there to give me guidance or anything, the dental board, the attorney general's office work in concert to make sure that the actual harmful patterns of dentists is not available to the consumer of dental services at the place and time of treatment. Tina's bill proposal, bottom line, is as a consumer in my health, as a consumer in my dental treatment, at the place and time of treatment, I must be informed if my dentist is on probation. My dentist is on probation for an established harmful pattern. That is a huge risk to my health, to my physical and financial investment. Those two investments to a lot of people mean a lot more than a pretty smile. We have to function, all of us. If every day you wake up and you're struggling to chew food, so instead you resort to your compromise because the dentist needs to be more protected, it literally challenges your life in a way that is completely uncivilized. And so what, what does Tina's bill propose? At the place and time of treatment, if your dentist is on probation, the person who is allowing the dentist to do any form of treatment needs to be informed about that risk. That's a higher risk. That's an established risk the dental board is completely aware of and profiting by. So is the AG's office. They're profiting by it. Is a patient going to literally believe 
that their safety is a priority, which both offices advertise fraudulently, is their priority. It's an egregious crime that they even acknowledge. Uh, FYI, the dental board in every single state advertises when you go to their website that if there's a conditional status, any status of a licensee must be posted. A status of a licensee must be posted on the website, but there's no guarantee that will happen. I'm living proof. And they have a disclaimer that says, they're not responsible if it's not timely. How can that be the priority of patient safety? That's just one more way that protects the agencies and not the patient. The consumer of dental services is the only reason why a dentist exists in business. It's the only reason why the ADA exists because there's a patient who needs service. They are taking advantage of that person who needs health care in the healthcare industry where they've turned the mouth into a menu of marketing options and opportunities to pump in manufactured devices and crowns and uh, neuromuscular dentistry, which is just beyond the worst care of somebody who has really nice teeth, a victim I'm dealing with right now. She has really beautiful teeth that they convinced her her bite was off. There is no, there is no reason to make this beautiful set of teeth subject to a theory. There is no reason to charge her money to make appointments to come in and adjust her perfectly healthy teeth. No cavities, nothing wrong with her teeth. Beautiful. But they convinced her that her bite was off. Just like me. Your bite is off. You're going to be way more comfortable. Your teeth are going to look beautiful. They're going to align better than before. You won't have any headaches. So you're going to breathe better. They sell all this crap. Sometimes, I mean, I understand you go through days where you think, you know, maybe I'm not doing enough for my health. Maybe I need to be more responsible. Maybe I need to try harder and read all these pamphlets and get in there and do something better for my health. So you go visit a doctor or a dentist. They can sell you just about anything today because in continued education, they have an upsell selling marketing ploy that helps the business and license and corporate entity that is operating on your teeth. They get off scot-free, especially if you're irreparably damaged. As I'm learning, talking to more and more people and who've been victims of dental procedures. I, I just had no idea this was going on. So it's been quite a, a shock to me. So uh, Tina, Tina's bill, where is that in the process of, I guess, becoming a bill? Well, I mean, I could have abandoned Tina's bill, I'd say 2010, the Senate Oversight Hearing Committee asked me to come and speak um, at the Sunset Review for the Dental Board, which was a huge sham, just the most embarrassing organization of government I've ever seen. I took witnesses and everybody was like, what is this mess? These people, they were, <laughs> they were eating cake and six were at the board and then maybe eight showed up and then there were four while people were speaking about very patient anesthesia related, you know, children who died in the dentist chair. It was the worst thing I ever saw. And uh, the witnesses, they constantly talk to me about it, but I can't focus on that. With Tina's bill, where it is today, I still have former dental board members helping me. They want me to expose the truth. Former dental board members are telling everybody, we're not safe in the dentist chair. You know, we have to be very careful about who we trust. That's not fair to really good dentists. There are really good dentists out there who don't deserve this treatment. They don't. And a lot of these dentists, seriously, that are on probation for and citations, whatever, to pay money, pay money, pay money. Do you think that literally if dentists have a harmful pattern and are being 
discipline for their harmful pattern. Do you really believe that if they pay the dental board more fees or the AG's office more fees, somehow their harmful pattern is going to reform? Money is never going to change that. The patients that they harmed were assaulted. And whether or not it was due to the continued education that taught them really bad procedures for a marketing effort or some corporation that said, if you do this, we'll have a perpetual patient. A perpetual patient will have to come in like Tina Gomes for 14 years, trusting her dentist who has all these accolades on the wall and he's performing all these advanced trained theories and da da da. She'll believe them. Make everybody a perpetual patient, then we'll all make money. And we'll keep the dental labs alive. We'll keep the dental labs prosperous because they're a billion dollar research center for us. And that's the truth. I mean, there's just no way anybody with uh, healthy teeth should ever get any kind of cosmetic enhancement, ever should never do it. The advertising that ABC permits with the ADA's permission, the way they all permit is a licensing thing. The priority of patient safety, the priority of public safety is literally under the attorney general's office, under the government protective agency's office. They should be stepping in at all times to stop all of this influence through your favorite network television media campaign. They're motivating dentists to work for dollars. Congress is motivated by big pharma dollars. Money is like really the priority. That's why when you think about, you know, which dentist am I going to choose today? Which doctor am I going to choose today? It's really, which risk am I going to choose today? How much am I willing to lose? That's being protected, not the actual physical person walking in. And those care credit, $5,000, I, I think that's what they're offering people, care credit for $5,000. I'm not familiar with that term, care credit. Um, there, these credit cards dentists offer when they recommend, you know, like crowns or any, so they sign up for the care credit, which is a bank of America or any of the banks, major banks, they sponsor these care credits through the dentist who can like offer these credit cards. So they sign up for $5,000 initially to get some dental work done and the dentist gets busy on $10,000 worth of dental work. So now <laughs> care credit you owe money to and you owe money to the dentist for the other $5,000 because they started all this very expensive dental work that is lot lab uh, dependent. You know, these are, these aren't teeth. They're not caring for teeth. They're caring for the dental devices, which are crowns, laminates, bridges, implants. I understand that a lot of folks who have been harmed through dental procedure somehow find you. And so you've become a, an advocate and a supporter for folks who've been harmed. Tell me a bit more about that aspect of your, your life. Well, uh, I mean, I feel like a failure on so many levels, seriously. I have such great support from dentists, former dental board members. The uh, former West Virginia Attorney General, Charlie Brown, who is the World Health Organization president for Mercury Free Dentistry, wrote Tina's bill. Obviously, he supports me. I feel like a complete failure because there is every effort to make sure that patients don't find out their dentist is on probation. And recently, um, Jerry Brown, who I wrote to for years, I spoke to every governor, every anybody you could think of, I went before them. They make idle promises on a regular, as you know. They passed a bill recently for only doctors, not dentists, to inform their patients if they were on probation for a serious crime. Sexual misconduct is a serious crime. 
but I'm pretty sure if you invest in your dental work and you wind up with no teeth and infection that erases the bone that are underneath your teeth and you forever have nothing but health disorders in your gastrointestinal and intestinal way that you could possibly digest food because you can't chew food properly and uh, you're only eating certain kinds of food anymore. I mean, across the board, I think when somebody destroys all your teeth and causes infection in your in your blood and all that crazy, that's a pretty serious crime. Uh, they took dentists right out of that law they passed that if your dentist if your doctor is on probation, they'll have to inform you if the probation was due to some sexual crime. For me, I think I feel, I feel like a complete failure. I, I am a complete failure. I wasn't able to, uh, with all the support and help of highly respected people and people who made an influence in government and still, here we are today. If you go to your dentist, you have trusted for years, as I did, doesn't tell you they're on probation or ever were on probation. So some people listening may be thinking and may define failure as failure to try. Um, and it's pretty evident that you put in a big effort, but you're up against a big machine. I, I'm not up against a big machine. In all honesty, I believe uh, across the board, I'm not against a, a, a big machine. You know, the truth is, these are crooks. I'm a civilized person. It's uncivilized for a government agency to tell the public they protect the public with a priority. And then they cover up and don't inform the uneducated patient climbing into the chair with their last set of teeth and their last dollars. There's a huge risk investing in this dentist we would never go to. They failed to tell them that. That's not a huge machine anymore. That's the few people on that dental board in that state that have a duty. They're charged with a duty. They know where that dentist is that they placed on probation they make money from. Profit by after they gave them the apparatus of compromise to continue practicing on unsuspecting patients. That's a few people. That's not a big machine. That's a few people. These are people who have a conscience. They're charged with that duty. So it's not the big wheel anymore. These people have a job to do. These few people in every dental board have a duty. If you were on the dental board, would you make sure that you went to legislators and say, this is not right. I'm on this board. I'm representing the public's interest. The public's interest is, is to be protected with a priority because we promised it. And no matter what, I'm not gonna fall between the cracks. None of the people in our world likes it when somebody who's in authority says, sorry, fell between the cracks. I'm one of them. I don't like it. You don't like it. I don't like it. So what do you do instead? You don't let a legislator go in and pass a bill that literally protects the bad secrets. Instead, you act for the public you represent. These aren't the government's dollars. These dollars are taxpayers' dollars. The innocent people. We're supposed to trust the government. And I really wish that would happen, you know, that they would feel good about the fact that the public trusts them and act accordingly. So until that happens, I mean, seriously, I have to feel like a failure because I have been in more ways than you can imagine. I've reached out and have been reached out to by media, by everybody. I've spilled all the beans. I've given court documents. I have substantive material. I make sure I address the points that are current right now. They're trying to pass in legislation that is going to one more time disregard, flagrantly disregard the ability to represent the public. 
which is what the government wants to do. The government shouldn't be hiring people who are incompetent to protect the public if they're a public protection agency. And in dentistry today, there isn't anybody at the ADA stepping up. The ADA has a responsibility because they seem like the overlord of all dentists who sign up as a member to protect the public. They state it in everything. It's fraudulently advertised and why the public trusts that if they go to a board certified dentist that is licensed and permitted by the state, they can trust that person. And so that's the way it's supposed to be, but that's not the way it is. It's not the way it is. Uh, so you mentioned uh, the, some of the media has come to you. So there's been some media interest, which I'm sort of surprised at because I, like I said, I never was aware of any problems in the dental industry until I started the podcast. Uh, but you mentioned earlier about a 2020 interview. I'm not sure if you want to share more about that. No, I definitely do. Um, I'm very happy. 2020 wanted to expose the probationer dentist licensing practice. Uh, I did the interview with Cecilia Vega, who maybe you don't know, but is on Good Morning America. Very bright. I did the interview with her. I guess she was very upset that they canned. I call it canned, but I guess they use the word shelved. So maybe it's going to surface eventually, maybe through this interview that it's going to surface. I hope so. Yeah. So she said, what would you want the people to know? You know, what would you want them to know at the, at the dental office? She said, well, I would want them to know if their dentist is on probation, wouldn't you? And she said, yes, absolutely. And that's where our interview ended, but we worked on it for weeks. So why did 2020 not air your interview? Um, I, one of the producers contacted me to say that, you know, Cecilia, she said, think about Cecilia. She's, she's not happy. And I said, well, what happened? They didn't even give me any kind of reason, but I knew they shelved it. But I called it candid, you know, because at that time, was just prior to Jerry Brown, our governor at the time, who I approached several ways, was trying to pass a bill for adequate notification for doctors on probation. It didn't include dentists. Again, see how they keep protecting the dentists? If a dentist has a history of harmful conduct, they fight tooth and nail to make sure patient in that dentist's chair never finds out. They certainly make it difficult on a website because they sent me an apology after they made sure they let me know, know that they, they never posted my former dentist's probation on their website, never. And he harmed several patients before me. My surgery after he was placed on probation was one month after he was placed on probation. And FYI, uh, you should look at the amount of money that the attorney general's office makes, the dental board makes, the probation monitor makes. And you know, in California, they don't have to have liability insurance. They're on probation. They're the highest risk. The patient doesn't know, and they don't have liability insurance. No money to be transferred for your next surgery to try and repair that dentist's mess. My surgery to try and repair my former dentist's mess uh, was $55,000. A, I wasn't going to trust the next dentist. B, I sure didn't want to go through another surgery. I think I weighed 89 pounds. I, no, I wasn't going to trust another dentist. I wasn't going to trust anybody. So what's in store for you moving forward in terms of advocacy? And also, how is your health now? Um, okay, so advocacy, it's, it's very hard for me to turn my back on Tina's bill. I can't. I have so many people contact me, contact me through Facebook, through friends family. Everybody has to go to the dentist, so they call me up. So I don't want to be in this position at all. 
I can't turn my back on it either because I think the number one thing that hurts me to this day is that nobody informed me my dentist was on probation. And it's why I'm still standing here today suffering. I think I'm going to go through with surgery five next pretty soon. I think I am. And what do you hope the outcome of that surgery will be? Well, I did twice as much bone grafting, which failed. Nothing worked. A lot of bone has been removed, teeth all removed. Um, I work with transitional prosthetics on uh, some posts that have to be removed. I want to believe the last recommendation, but that's only because I'm so old now. You know, I've been dealing with all, it just robbed all those years. Uh, I could have had a healthier senior life, had all those years been right, you know, instead of dealing with all the bone infections and all of the uh, compromised eating and sleeping. You know, I still grind, even though I don't have those teeth anymore. I still grind every night, which causes headaches every day and swelling, you know, a lot of swelling. But I manage that very well. I am managing that very well. Uh, and I don't take drugs. I've never taken drugs. I had to take uh, ibuprofen for a couple of months last year because I developed um, adhesive capsulitis. Do you know what that is? Yeah adhesive capsulitis uh, with bilateral tendinopathy. And so it's in both shoulders and the tendons uh, are underneath the adhesive capsulitis that's trying to grab around the joints like this. And so it limits my mobility, but I'm doing very well with that. I'm in physical therapy for that, but it goes all the way back up into the temporomandibular joint pain I've had for you know, all these decades. And the pain goes down from here to my chin because it's all connected. This next dental surgery, it'll be probably my last dental surgery and I'll probably just deal with dentures because I won't go with uh, dental implants because I don't have enough bone and the, the lingual nerve rides on the very top of what is left of my jaw on the bottom and the lingual nerves on top. So if they drilled anything to uh, dental implants on top, they would potentially cut off the nerve and I wouldn't have use of my tongue and I would just drool and, you know, my speech would be completely impaired. Yeah, that sounds very frightening. So I'm just sort of recapping in my head. So 1992, you go in to have a simple crown fixed and here we are all these years later, and it's impacting, still impacting your sleep, pain, what you can and cannot eat, not to mention the social and emotional repercussions. People think it's such a small thing to just share a meal with somebody. A lot of victims don't want to be seen eating because we struggle. I mean, it's embarrassing. It just interrupts, I, and I know this is just going to sound so fluffy, but it's really not. I mean, just a simple kiss with somebody you love, that goes away. It's gone. That's a simple thing. The whole time I've been speaking to you, I'm like, oh my God, I can't stand the fact that I'm doing this and I look like a monster and I feel like one. It's completely unfair and uncivilized that there is a licensing board who licenses somebody they would never engage in any kind of dental treatment or put their children in their chair. Yeah, you're a guinea pig. So many were. And maybe that is why I do Tina's Bill because when people reach out to me, I wanna help them. I know this one victim right now, she dodged a bullet because they didn't actually drill all of her teeth and she has really healthy, beautiful teeth, but they did the other two phases that have destroyed her comfort and her health like she used to have before she agreed to the treatment. And how sick is she? She's, she's bedridden. And her parents, her mother and father pick her up. They try and help her do basic functioning. And um, I help get her an attorney right now. So that's a, an extra aspect of your life that can be both stressful and rewarding. 
you're supporting other victims. How do you do self-care around that and around all of the other things you're dealing with? Well, I read a lot, so that helps. The beach, believe it or not, the beach is uh, going to the ocean. When I go to the ocean, uh, my whole job is to take whatever painful is existing. And I, I even wrote a song about this, write your pain in the sand, the wind will blow it away. I, I wrote this song, that was the hook. And I write it in the sand. And then when the waves come up and it washes it back out, and I have an MRA thing that I deal with every day, MRA, which is moving right along. If PTSD kicks in, moving right along. So Tina, if folks wanted to find you on say social media, where's the best way to connect with you? Uh, definitely Tina's Bill Proposal. That's a Facebook page? Yes. I'll be aggressive on Tina's bill and I will post as much substantive information that could be helpful to the public that are fact related that the dental board isn't posting. The ADA isn't making an effort to inform the public about if lettuce is making people sick today, every supermarket, every network, lettuce is hurting people. Don't eat it in a heartbeat. But when a dentist is known for literally, irreparably challenging a person's health, removing all their teeth, making them bankrupt, making their families pay for their dental bill, they don't want people to know that dentist hurts somebody. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tina, for sharing your story, for the work that you're doing, for giving us all a heads up about what's going on in the dental industry. Awareness around this subject will go a great distance, I, I believe. I really appreciate the opportunity. I don't trust very many people on this issue, but I wanna trust you. I appreciate you, Scott. Oh, I, I appreciate you too, Tina. Thanks, thanks for sharing. Well, Tina is the fourth person I've interviewed about horrible experiences with the dental industry. Evidently, it is a widespread problem deeply corrupted, and preying on the trusting public. I don't know about you, but I will never blindly trust a dentist again, or dental boards. Why is it so hard for people with power to do the right thing? You can support the podcast by subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and all the major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron premium patrons of the podcast get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Simply go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. And if you've had your own experience with medical error or are living with complex chronic illness and need the support of an experienced counselor, you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Thank you for listening. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others.